You are listening to the FDNY Pearl Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to FDNY Pro's WNYF Podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant John Paul Orger, and we're going one-on-one today with Battalion Chief Joseph Abamante. Chief Abamante has been with the FDNY since 1995. He is assigned to the Marine Battalion, and his prior assignments include Battalion 27 and the Hazmat Battalion. Good morning, Chief. Welcome. Thanks for having me, John. So we're going to talk a little bit today about your article in WNYF regarding marine operations in New York's harbor, training and preparedness for your units. Chief, the Port of New York and New Jersey is the largest port on the eastern seaboard. In terms of traffic, what is the volume of cargo ships that come in and out of the metropolitan area? Approximately 7,000 ships a year come in and out of the port. Like you said, it's, it's the third largest in the country, but it's the largest on the eastern seaboard. And as far as flammable liquids like petroleum products, it's the largest in the country for storage, refining, and just flammable liquids passing through the port, either coming in or going out. So it's a port of national significance. It definitely is a hub. There's over $166 billion in annual trade that comes through, and they're actually expanding the port. They're uh, raising the Bayonne Bridge in the back of Staten Island on the Kilvan Cull, and they're dredging the channels out to 50 feet. So what that's going to allow them to do is to bring in bigger cargo ships. We, uh, we currently can take a cargo ship that has a 12,500 container max. So when they widened the Panama Canal, they went up to 14,000 TEUs, which is a 20-foot equivalent unit, which is the standard of measure. So once they finish this and the bridge is raised to like 216 feet, they can bring in these really big ships. So it's only going to get busier and, uh, and more vital to the economy. So as you said, some of the cargo moving around the seaport includes hazardous materials such as flammables, explosives, corrosives, oxidizers. You mentioned poisons also mm-hmm. in your article. Everything comes into the port. So in your article, you target the increased number of vessels that not only transport emerging fuels, but in some cases utilize emerging fuels as a power source. What are some examples of emerging fuels, and why are they becoming more prevalent in the shipping industry? They're becoming more prevalent because pollution restrictions are getting much tighter. The IMO, which is the International Maritime Organization, and the EPA tightened the standards. So ships are very dirty. They run on heavy oils. They run on diesel fuels. They weren't very well regulated. So as these restrictions get tighter, they got to look to a cleaner burning fuel. So LNG is, is a big one. It really hasn't come into port yet, but all throughout the world, it's becoming a, a go-to fuel. It burns completely clean. It's fairly safe, even though it's flammable. The Staten Island Ferry is actually in the works of retrofitting two ferries to work on LNG. It's going to be a pilot program. They'll be the first LNG vessels in the harbor, and they'll be taking people back and forth between Staten Island and Manhattan. There's also hydrogen fuel cells all kinds of batteries that they use, whether it's a hybrid batteries or, or just lead-acid batteries. There's a dinner cruise line, and they run off of solar, and then the solar is stored in these, these big banks of batteries. So we gotta be on the cutting edge. We gotta understand exactly what problems are gonna confront us when we pull up to an incident. So in your article, you hit upon having the ability to control a scene, mitigate hazards, and protect life and property, and that it's dependent upon a tiered response. The FDNY in general, that's what we do. We show up at a scene and we control it, we mitigate hazards, we protect life and property. With marine operations, it's much the same. In short, we now have the ability 
to respond on a vessel and a platform that's going to give us a much better chance at success. Whether that's a search and rescue mission where you need a fast, smaller boat or a big event like a ship fire where we might use a 140-foot vessel as a platform for jumping off. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the capabilities of the Marine Division and also, if you could, just describe some of the fleet. Oh, absolutely. Again, search and rescue is pretty much our bread and butter. Prior to 9-11, we had older boats. We didn't have any fast boats. They were geared to fighting pier fires and factories and and ship fires. And uh, the face of the port has changed. There's so many more people now that are out recreationally that never were. It's incredible. There's jet skiers in the East River and the Hudson, kayakers. And these people get in trouble from time to time. So search and rescue has become 90% of our our job. We can also supply water. And we have on occasion, uh, we've supplied water to land units. And we can supply a lot of water. On the big boats, we could do up to 50,000 gallons a minute. So that's a, an obscene amount of water. We can do 25,000 gallons a minute while we're moving. And then if we tie up to a dock, we can supply up to 50,000 gallons a minute. So we supply water. We also have a pretty big foam, a robust foam capacity. Every vessel, except for our hurricane boats, our medical boats, and our scuba boat, can flow water. Those 33-foot boats, those little fast boats, can do 1,000 gallons a minute. So they're a pumper on the water. Each one of the little ones carry 35 gallons of foam just to start an operation or something quick and small like a a little marina fire with some fuel involved. And then we upgun from there. The mid-sized platforms are 65-foot boats. They have approximately 300 gallons of foam and they also carry Purple K. So we have a dry chem capability. And then our large platforms, they're the battleships. Therefore, big, big, big scenarios. They internally carry over 3,000 gallons of foam. We have the ability to sling load more foam onto the back deck and tap into those things. We could probably take almost 2,000 gallons on the back deck. And we also have the ability to resupply if we had to at a longer event. So we basically run the gamut. And then we have a decon corridor. The boats are protected chemically. We have a seaburn system on the boat, which is basically it's a military-grade seaburn system. Inside of the superstructure, the citadel, we call it, we turn this system on and it It's positive pressure. It's like a big mask. It filters all the uh, contaminants out, and it provides a safe space inside of the vessel. So we have them on the two big boats and then the two mid-sized boats. So we can operate in a contaminated environment if we have to. The smaller vessels, the 65-footers, have a smaller system. They're actually the same ones that are used on an Abrams tank. So they're uh, they're, they're really top-notch, top-shelf. They give us the ability to go to places that we never could go before. So couple that with the training that we're receiving, we're much better suited to handle different emergencies than we were 15 years ago. So you mentioned CBRN or CBRN. Yes, it's chemical, biological, uh, radiological, and uh, nuclear. It's basically a filtration system that we can filter out almost all, pretty much everything that the, the military can filter out. We can filter out any contaminants that are, that are out there. And, uh, and then we have chemical detection and uh, radiological meters to see if we're inside of that plume or not in that plume to make sure that we're safe. We have all the water monitors. We could actually turn those water monitors, some of them, and wash down the boat to wash off any type of contaminant that might have got on the boat. So these platforms are cutting edge. They're some of the most advanced platforms in the fire service today. In the event of a large-scale maritime incident, 
say one occurs in or near New York's harbor, mm-hmm. in what capacity would the FDNY Marine units respond and to what extent in terms of distance? We're always training for that big event. Even though search and rescue is our bread and butter, we have to be prepared for a large-scale event. Marine operations and Marine Battalion, we respond to over 600 miles of coastline inside the city. And then from there, we expand out regionally. We're a regional asset. We were a federally funded fireboat. We can go into Connecticut. We go up uh, to Yonkers, past Yonkers. We could go to Albany if they called us. And then we go well into Jersey, whether it's behind the KVK, the Kilvan Cull, which is behind Staten Island, or down south, wherever we're needed, really. When I was a captain in Hazmat, right after Sandy, we went about 15 miles offshore to take a look at a ship. It was a cargo ship carrying an intermodal container. So there was a liquid on there that was flammable. It was poisonous. It could explode. It could polymerize. And it was leaking. So we went out there to check it out which leads into that whole tiered response and the task-oriented response. So that was like 12 to 15 miles out into the ocean, but we'll go wherever the commissioner and FDOC says we need to go. The range on these ships, especially the bigger boats, it's a couple hundred miles at least, and then we have the ability to refuel and push forward wherever they need us to. So I'd imagine your personnel, from firefighters to officers, you have uh, wipers, engineers, boat pilots... Their training needs to be a little bit more extensive than your typical field unit. So what are we talking about in terms of training? How does the FDNY train and prepare its marine operations personnel for the next big event? We're constantly in training. Being in special operations and having all those different rank structures, we have more rank structures in marine than anywhere else. We add in the wiper and the pilot and the engineer, the assistant engineer, the chief engineer. With the different rank structures, there is lots of different training that needs to go on, and it's, it's task-oriented. The engineers and the wipers, they'll go to different engine schools. MTU is a school that we go to, Caterpillar, and they'll learn about the different propulsion systems. On the firefighter side to the pilot side, most of our guys have advanced licenses, Coast Guard licenses, and we'll send people out to get some of those licenses when they have enough days on the water. We'll do everything from swift water to shipboard firefighting. We go to two separate shipboard firefighting schools and uh, we go to damage control school. We're actually just receiving a damage control simulator within the next month or so. It should show up at the rock and um, we can practice being on a ship that's sinking and flooding and how we stop that. So let's say we have an issue with a ferry or something where there's a big life hazard and they hit something and they're flooding. We're now trained to get in there and at least stop it and slow it to allow everybody to get off safely. So training, it just never stops over there. We're constantly in some kind of training rotation, but they all love it. It's really an exciting place to work. So you just mentioned two things, simulation and the rock. The rock being our training academy. Yes. And simulation. Now there was a shipboard simulator that was recently constructed there, Correct. correct? As I said, we've gone to multiple shipboard firefighting schools. We basically created our own ship. We can do live burns. There's a search area. We could simulate a couple of different options, an engine room fire and then a galley fire. We take firefighters that are from land-based units and we bring them in and train them on marine firefighting. Because ultimately, even though we have all this training, we understand that there may be a point where we're not going to take that hose line into the ship because we have a boat and a vessel that we have to bring up alongside and tie off, and we may not have that manpower. So once again, that tiered response or that task-organized response comes into play where we can put three and two 
on the fire boat and bring it out to a ship and tie off and then get the water supply up on deck and get all the equipment up and then go in. So that's where the simulator came into play initially. We do some training on it, but right now we're training up land-based units. So that's the the shipboard. And then to enhance that, we're getting the damage control. So we'll have fire and we'll have flood. It's really good training. We developed a marine hazmat technician program. Kind of bridges the gap between the technician one and the technician two that hazmat operations has developed. And this program was developed with hazmat ops, and it gives our firefighters the ability to deal with incidents that come up quickly. Like I talk again about a tiered response and about a task organized response, but a lot of times we find ourselves out there alone and unassisted without the backup of hazmat, without the backup of rescue. So the training that we've been doing enhances our safety and the ability to take actions early on in a situation. And the Marine Hazmat Tech Program allows us to operate meters and equipment. Some of it you find in its OX support ladder company, and some of them are actually generic to hazmat and the hazmat technician units. So we kind of bridge that gap. We can detect chemicals, and then if we have to, we have the PPE to just take some initial actions to, to start a mitigation. And we're not, gonna, we're not doing what hazmat does, but if we can save a life or if we can turn a valve and it's safe and it's within our level of training, then we will do it. So in terms of land-based units, you mentioned bringing over three and two. Can mm-hmm. you explain that? What is three and two? Uh, three engines and two trucks. That's your typical first alarm assignment for a fire. So we have the ability to put the first alarm assignment on the vessel and then bring them out someplace remote and fight a fire. We had a ship fire a few years ago and we were able to get it to the pier. We brought it to the home port pier. That is the ideal situation in fighting a fire is to bring it alongside so we have unlimited access, unlimited equipment and personnel. But there are certain occasions where you're gonna have to go out there and fight this fire, we call it in stream. You know, they're, they're not tied up to the dock. They're maybe they're, there's an anchor, they, they're anchored up. If the captain of the port is concerned with the stability and the possibility that this could cause a catastrophic event inside the harbor, they're not going to let it in. So they'll leave it outside, they'll leave it south of the Varazano Narrows Bridge where it's out at the Ambrose Anchorage, which is again 12 to 15 miles offshore, or maybe at Gravesend Bay, which is just south of the, the Varazano, and then we'll have to go out there and fight the fire or deal with the emergency out there, which Again, safer for the population if there's a significant hazard, but it makes it much more difficult. So you're going to be working out there on the waterways with multiple agencies, the Coast Guard. Do you typically cross-train with these other groups? We conducted a a big multi-agency drill. We simulated a chemical release on a cargo ship with uh, some people overcome, and we brought rescue personnel, and we brought hazmat personnel, and we brought Coast Guard personnel on our ship tied off to, and it was actually the Empire State, that's the SUNY Maritimes training vessel. We pulled alongside, we did everything that the Marine does as far as communicating with the vessel, tying off, moving all the equipment on board, and then we let Hazmat, and we let Rescue, and we let the Coast Guard do their part with mitigating the hazard. We actually had EMS on board, we had rescue medics, and they treated a victim, and then rescue packaged them up, and then we lowered the victim over the side down to the ship. So we pretty much exercised as many different facets as you can possibly see in an event. We had injured personnel, 
we had some kind of leaking package, and everyone walked away uh, very happy, I thought. So, Chief, if there was one thing you wanted first responders to know about FDNY Marine Operations, what would it be? I think most firefighters would know now, but I'd definitely like to stress it. This is not the Marine Division of old. Prior to 9-11, we had old vessels, and the mission was an old mission. The pier fire, the factory fire, although we have been to factory fire since then, has greatly diminished. So marine operations, it's a fast, strong, agile force. The fleet that's here and the members that are here are highly motivated and quite capable of doing whatever needs to be done. We had that fighter plane over the summer on Memorial Day weekend. It crash landed into the Hudson River. Our guys were trained and knew the little nuances of approaching this thing in a strong current. And they were able to tie off to that plane and provide a point where when it ultimately did sink, they were able to go and and retrieve it and retrieve the pilot. We're definitely not the Marine Division of old. We're able to go places that we've never gone before. Marine operations is completely changed. Chief, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure having you in studio today. Oh, thank you. Uh, It was my pleasure. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred and sixty-five days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to fdnyfoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.